Bless you. What a privilege to be here today. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we get into the message? Our Heavenly Father, it's in the name of Jesus, Lord. I want to thank you for the great privilege, Lord, of coming to this pulpit today in weakness. Father, I thank you for the extreme privilege, Lord, of coming here aware of how insufficient that I am, how unable, Lord, how it is that I have just nothing for these folks that have come, but coming in here trusting that the Holy Spirit has already deigned that you will meet us here, that you'll meet us in the preaching of the word, that you'll meet us in the worship, you'll meet us in the praise. And so, Father, that we who are weak are now made strong in the grace of Christ. And, Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, I was going to share with you, uh, Brother Tony mentioned earlier about the uh, having, your, having your TV, your news feed full of all kinds of things, spy balloons and... and um, and, and football games and the like. Um, I, I, I confess to you, I've never been much of a football fan. I know that puts me on the outs with some of you right now, and that's okay. God bless you. Uh, but uh, And I've never really got into Chinese spy balloons too much. But uh, my news feed that I've been seeing, what comes up on my, on my phone, I, that's how I usually see things, has been full of something else the last few days. And I wanted to take just a moment and mention it to you the last great spontaneous revival at Asbury College was over 50 years ago. I was a student there for a year, and they were still talking about it years, de decades after. It was in 1970, and they talked about how a chapel service just exploded into revival. They went on for days and days without stopping, without, without people leaving. It was around the clock for days, and God's Spirit moved been over 50 years, and they were tellers of the story, but they'd not seen it this week. Right now, right now, that revival has exploded again at Asbury College. Young people coming to the altar, pouring out their hearts in confession and asking the Lord to come in with great grace and mighty things. And when that, when that revival happened in 1970, it was a spark, but the fire spread out from there. In our hometown, in Clay City, Kentucky, people had come in, and they, they had gotten the fire of that revival. People were chasing folks into grocery stores to ask them if they were saved and to lead them to Christ. And, uh, and that, that sort of thing was happening because God's Spirit was moving in revival. And it started out with young people seeking the Lord God. And I just want to say that to you today so that you know that it's amazing. God is still moving. God is still what we needed. He's still the answer. And I believe that he hasn't changed one bit. It did strike me that that, that happened again at Asbury after all these years, after they made a move to disassociate themselves with darkness and to seek the word of God as the authority of all things. And I believe God will do that. I believe he'll honor his word. And he can do a great thing right here among us today. And if he does, it won't be by anything that I have done or anything that you have done. It'll be by his own power and by his own glory. And so that's what we pray for. Anyway, all right, I'm going I'm, I'm to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me. First of all, this morning, I've got a few places in Scripture I'm, I plan on reading to you. And hopefully you'll bear with me as we look into the Word of God. The book of Titus to begin with. Just a little introduction to Paul's letter to his, his friend Titus, who he is... Uh, a sort of a father, too, in the faith. Titus is one of those young men that, like Timothy, who, who Paul has sent out to do, to do the Lord's work, and he's writing to him as he's ministering in Crete, and he is encouraging him in some things. But I just want to look at the introduction at the very beginning of Titus chapter 1. There's a couple things there I'd like to point out to you. 
And so it begins here in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He said something in verse 4. He said to Titus, a true son in our common faith, and you know this, you didn't need me to point it out to you, but when, when he said our common faith, he didn't mean a faith that is run-of-the-mill or ordinary or you can just find it anywhere. What he meant when he said our common faith, he meant that which we share in common that which makes us one people together, that which is our kinship and our brotherhood. Amen. You know, back in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament days, they had the blood of Abraham literally flowing in their veins, and that made them a people united together. It was all in genealogy. You and I don't have that. We don't necessarily come from all the same places, the same background, but this we have. We have this common faith in Christ, and it has made us together a kingdom which cannot ever fail. Hallelujah. What a wonderful thing, this faith in Christ. But I want you to see something with that thought of faith in mind. Look back at verse number one for just a moment. He said, I'm an apostle in this thing. God's calling is on me as it's on each one of you in some way. And, and me and, you know, every one of us, we have our calling. And he said, an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. Hallelujah. But notice what he lays right alongside that faith, that thing that unites us. Right alongside our faith, what does he say there in verse 1? He says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of truth which accords with godliness. The acknowledgement of truth which accords with godliness. Yes, we're the people of God by our faith in Him. But let me tell you something else that marks us as the people of God. We have an acknowledgement of truth which accords with godliness. Amen. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that there is the truth? The world that doesn't have a beat on it at all. The world that doesn't see it at all. You and I see it. The truth. The truth of Christ Jesus, the truth of his lordship over us. So many wonderful things to talk about in that. Well, I just wanted us to see that line for a moment. The, the acknowledgement of truth which accords with godliness. Come with me back to the book of Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8, there's a story here, and I'd like to take a moment to read it with you. Matthew 8, 28 is where we're going to. This directly follows a portion where Jesus has crossed the, the sea with his disciples. You remember that he fell asleep in the boat. They all said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And he was able with no trouble at all to calm that storm. Why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? Well, that wasn't the only storm that he came to calm on that trip. You see, sometimes, sometimes the easier storms to deal with are the ones that are external, the ones that are merely weather. But then there are storms that are not just weather. There was a man who was in the middle of a great storm. Maybe somebody here has been in the middle of a storm on the inside. Maybe somebody here has been in the midst of deep anxiety, deep depression, deep loss of purpose, meaning in life, all those kinds of things. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that or not. 
I don't know if you've ever wrestled with fear that just seems like it stirs itself up to a torrent, a, 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 a deluge of things. But so Jesus comes, and it says in Matthew 8, 28, we begin reading, and it says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men. You'll remember that, that in the telling in the other Gospels, they focus on only one of these men. Matthew says that there were, in fact, two of them, and so he tells us about both of them. And there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And if you were to read that in the other gospel accounts, you'd find that the men of that place, the people of that place, they had done what limited things they knew to do for them. They tried out of kindness, I suppose, to help these men by putting them in chains, right? Because that's a blessing, I guess. Uh, they tried to do what they could to keep them from cutting themselves, harming themselves. They kept trying to cover their nakedness, but these men kept breaking their bonds and tearing off their clothes and running out and living among the tombs. And it, these men who come to meet Jesus when he gets to this land. And suddenly, verse 29 says, And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And there's something in that. There's a, there's a duality of something in verse 29. They come running. They come running to Christ. There's something in them that's still responding to this, this God in the flesh, this one who has created them. Though everything that's come to infest their minds is putting on the brakes and saying, don't go to him. Don't listen to him. Don't trust him, you son of God. What are you even doing here? There's still something in them that's holding on to something, and here they come running to Christ. Here they come looking for him, looking for some kind of help. Now, it said a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. I can't remember. One of the other gospel writers, I guess, took the time to count them, said there was something like 2,000 of them, or I can't remember exactly how many. And so the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. Now, Jesus responded to that. Can I, can I just point out to you, he was not trying to do these demons that infested these four men a favor. He was not trying to help them out, saying, hey, you've got to do something for the demons. No, that wasn't, that wasn't what he had in mind. Jesus' interest was in getting them out of them. Jesus' interest was in setting them free. Those swine are no concern of mine. Whatever you do, just go. Just go. And he says here, he said, they begged him, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down, to the, ste down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Every time I read that, what comes to my mind is to think that, that, that in, these, in these, all these pigs, all these hogs that have taken on this devilish thing, these legion of, of spirits, the pigs didn't have that human reality of having been made in the image of God. There was nothing in them at all to restrain these demonic things. And so those demonic things just became uh, true to their own nature, which was a nature of destruction. Immediately, immediately after entering these hogs, these thousands of hogs destroyed themselves. You have to put that into context. You have to understand that that is what these demons were trying to do in these men. 
This is what was happening. This, is, this was their work in them. Can you imagine? Can you, I mean, doesn't that stir your heart with compassion to think that this is what these men have been living under? This, this, this push, this drive for self-destruction. And now they've been delivered. They've gone into the hogs. The hogs have destroyed themselves. By the way, they didn't, they didn't mean the end of the demons. It just meant the end of the hogs, right? And it goes on and says in verse 33, then those, who, then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Praise God, we're going to have revival. Amen. Here we go. Listen, these men, we tried to do what we could do for them. We tried to get them help, but we couldn't help them. And here comes one who helps them. Isn't that wonderful? How lovely is it that this one has come to deliver them? And they come and see all them dead hogs laying at the bottom of the bluff. And they say... We wanted them to have some help, but this is way too expensive. You, you, got, you got to go. You got to go. You see, these men, were, these, men, these men had lost their minds. These men were insane. They, they'd lost their hold on reality. But Jesus came across the sea and through a storm so that he could stop another storm of a different kind. He came to help them. Amen. He came to deliver them out of that. And, and, and he delivered them. He did. He delivered them. By his truth, he delivered them out of that storm that they were in. And I, I, when I read that, I also think that, my, how that really represents a great changing of places. There's a changing of places that happens there because these men have been delivered from insanity to sanity. But here's a whole town full of people who say, we just can't handle this Jesus being here. And now there's all these demons that were in the hogs, and now the hogs are gone. I just have to wonder, what happened to these men of the Gergesenes? who had rejected truth, who'd rejected the word of God, living in a land infested with evil things. And they had, they had just sent the only one who could help them packing. They just said, you get in your little boat and you go back to where you belong because we don't want you here. I'm afraid. I, the Bible doesn't tell us what became of these men, but I have a strong suspicion it was a very ugly thing. Amen. Why? Because in them they had no acknowledgement of truth with a, which accords with godliness. Amen. They drove away truth. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. One chapter before that. Look back with me for just a moment. One chapter before that, Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, great, great message, the finest message, the finest sermon that was ever preached. And, and, and Jesus ends that Sermon on the Mount with this little, this little passage in verse 24, it begins. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. What does it mean in verse 24 when it says to hear these sayings of mine and do them? What, what does it mean when it says that? I'm looking at some of our kids here today, young people, teenagers. My son over here, I see some of you guys I've... Picked up and learned some of your names, but I'm really bad at names, so I won't try to call any of them out. I'll, I'll feel really stupid when I call you by the wrong name and you have to just sit there and act like I've said it right. But um, when I'm, I'm looking at, at this younger generation coming, I mean, just, just now beginning to come on, that question I'm asking right now, what does it mean to hear these sayings of Christ and do them? 
you know, that really becomes relevant to me, especially at the age that I'm at. I've got kids that are just about to be adults, or they're just on the verge of being, what, what is it I really want for them, you know? Uh, I mean, you know, as, as my generation gets old and departs, what, what do I care about for them? I mean, do I sit and think and finally, I hope my kids come and visit my grave someday? You know, I don't care. I mean, you know, I, if they do, great, but I, I'd like them to remember me with fondness and be good to my grandkids if I have any. Do I want them to continue to go to church? Yes. Do I want them to continue to sing the songs that they grew up singing? Yes. Do I want, but but here, here's, here's the real issue. Why do I want them to do those things? To be the keepers of a tradition? See, I want them to know the Lord God. You see, I want them, I want them to know Him in His risen glory. I want them to know Him and build their lives. You see, what we're trying to do, we're trying to give our kids more than a tradition. We're trying to impart something to you guys. It's more than just, than just learn this little Sunday school lesson and come and sit in your pew. We're trying to give you a whole framework for understanding what is real, what is true. Because you cannot, let me just say this to you, you cannot trust the world to be honest with you. Amen. You cannot trust the world to tell you the truth about what is real and what is not. Amen. And so as I think about that, and I'm, I'm reading what Jesus says here about those who hear these sayings of mine and do them, I want to do that, amen. But I want my kids to do that, and I want your kids to do that. We've got to build our lives on Christ, amen. This is what it means, not just the keeping of a tradition, but knowing the risen Lord. You hear a lot of lies in this world, you really do. But we want you to know that the truth is in the word of Christ. Amen. This is where reality comes in. John 17, Jesus said in that high priestly prayer, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth and your word is truth. Sanctify, that is set them apart from the world. And how will God set you apart from the world? Because you know what is real. Because you know what is true. And you build according to that, amen. That's what marks you out as different. That's what sets you apart and sanctifies you by the word of God, which is truth, amen. In, in, in Matthew 27, 26 here, what we were just reading through, he said, he said, everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, floods came, wind blew, beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. These are the ones who reject the truth. They reject the truth. Did they have the freedom to do that? Yeah. Absolutely, they had the freedom to do that, as you have the freedom to do that. There's nobody in the world that can make you build your life according to truth. Your parents and your grandparents may influence you all they can. They'll lead you all they can. They'll bring you to church. They'll teach you Bible stories, all those little things. When you, But ultimately, you've got to make that decision for yourself. Amen. And I've got to make that decision for myself. Nobody is there to obligate me, to force me to build my life according to the truth. You're completely by God, by God above. He has sovereignly chosen to give you freedom of will. But he has by no means given you freedom of consequences. Amen. Those don't mean the same thing at all, do they? Amen. And so, and so here is the word of Christ saying, you reject the truth, there's going to be some consequences. They had freedom to reject it. You have the freedom to reject it. Never given freedom from consequences of the choice. Finding your own path. 
People start talking about that. I've heard Christian people say that about their children, especially when they were wayward and lost. They're finding their own path. Hey, listen, they don't need to find their own path. That's nonsense. They need to find the path that Christ gives to us. Amen. You need to find the path that Christ gives to us, following after him. There is a, a real hell. There is a real hell lived, not only in the final consequence of things beyond this life, I mean in the context of this life. These men that we saw in the tombs were living in their own kind of hell, amen. They were apart from truth and they had lost their minds, amen. There is a real hell involved in this life when you build not according to truth, but when you follow all these fanciful lies of the world, amen. You know that and I know that. What happens when someone rejects truth as a way of life? In other words, I like to say it this way, when you slide away from truth, where, where are you sliding to? I've been preaching a little series, I didn't mean to, just sort of accidentally preached a series of messages the last few weeks at home. That's just the way it works, I guess. I guess the Holy Spirit meant for me to, and I didn't know the plan ahead of time, but that's all right with me. But uh, about, about understanding things by, by trying to figure out their opposites. You know, your best, sometimes your best, your best way of figuring out what a thing is to see what its opposite is, and that shows you a whole lot. The opposite of love. No, no, no. The opposite of love is just simple selfishness. Because a lot of people think they love because they don't actively hate, but the truth is they don't love. They're just selfish. They're just selfish. They don't mind you as long as you don't get in their way, right? That's not love. It's the opposite of love. It's selfishness. Amen. The opposite of, the opposite of joy. You're afraid to answer now, aren't you? I knew that. <laughs> the, op the opposite of joy is, is not sadness. That's the opposite of happiness, and it just is contextual. It just depends on your circumstances. The opposite of joy, you really want to know what you have. When you have the opposite of joy, you are in control or trying to be desperately in control of everything. Control is the opposite of joy. You've got to give up control to get joy. But I want to come back. We're talking about truth today. What's the opposite of truth? Somebody said, I think it's falsehood. I think it's lying, but I'm not sure I want to answer that. You know, you know he, when you slide away from truth, what, what are you sliding to? Somebody in the world would say, well, just to a different truth, to a different truth. My son was showing me a video of a, of a documentary made by, I won't, won't go into that, but there was a documentary filmmaker who was on a university uh, campus asking questions of a gender studies professor. This man has a doctorate in gender studies, and he said something about, well, what do you say to people who... Who's, who wonder if this is really the truth or not. And he said, if you keep using that hateful talk, I'm, quit, I'm leaving this interview right now. He said, what, 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 what hateful talk? What are you talking? He said, that term you just used, that's hateful. And he said, I don't know what you mean. He said, when you said the truth as though there were only one. Yeah. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm the way, a truth. <laughs> He, he, didn't, he didn't go into that. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. People think when you walk away from the truth, well, it's all right, you just put on a different one, like changing coats or hats, you know? Just find something. That's stupid nonsense. Stupid nonsense. Usually when I say the word stupid in a sermon, some five-year-old girl will stand up and say, don't say stupid. Mama says that's a bad word. But they've gone to children's church, so I'll go ahead and say it. It's stupid nonsense, isn't it? Amen. The world's willingness to believe in multiplicity of truth is a real symptom of what's really wrong with it in the first place. To believe things that don't work together, that just conflict with each other. We all really know better than that. 
We know better than that idea that you can walk according to your truth and I can walk according... How do you know that? Because you somewhere along the line got mad at somebody for lying to you. Right? You lied to me. No, I was just telling you my truth. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. What is the opposite of truth? It's not just lying. It's worse than that. When you, when you give in to falsehood as a way of life, you don't just become a teller of lies. You become a believer of lies. When you walk away from truth, you don't just slide into falsehood. You walk into exactly where those men were in the story when we found them. When you walk away from truth, you walk into insanity. Insanity is the opposite of truth. Insanity is the opposite of truth. And you and I have to stand against that. We have to be speakers of the truth in the world. Amen. We have to live by the truth. We have to build by the truth. We have to love by the truth. We have to speak by the truth. We live in a world where we're expected to continually validate the delirium of people all around us. People who have lost their minds, but we're not supposed to say, I'm sorry, but this emperor has no clothes. We're not supposed to point out the falsehood of it all. A delirium of people and you're not supposed to interrupt it. I remember reading a story. If I've told you this story before, I'm, I'm sorry. I forget what I've said where. But a story that I read a while back, a, a, a genuine story, a true story about a lady who was um, a very courageous lady, a very, a, a very brave woman, I thought. And this woman had a disease, and it wasn't just a spiritual disease. We've been talking about spiritual diseases, the spiritual insanity. But this woman had a, had a, a health problem, a, a brain chemistry, brain structure problem. And she was, a, she was a delusional schizophrenic. But she was very brave, and she was very courageous. And she was trying to live her life according to what was real and not according to what she saw. And she, she would give lectures on her disease and try to explain to people what that meant and what that went through. And, and, and when she finished her talk in one place, this man stood up and he said, I have a question. She said, I, okay. She said, I know what your question is. And he said, how do you know what my question is? And she said, it's always the question. It's what everybody wants to know. She said, you want to know if I can see anything right now that isn't real? And he said, yeah, I do. I want to know what you, what you can, and she said, I, I can't ever answer that question for you. And he said, well, well why not, ma'am? And she said, because of what your second question will be. If I tell you that I can see something right now that may or may not be real, that I have a suspicion isn't real, you're going to ask me where it is. And if I point to where this thing is, everybody in the room is going to look there. And she said, the only way that I can hold it at bay. The only way I can convince myself that what I see is not real is that none of the rest of you are acknowledging what I see. She said, but the moment you validate this delirium of mine, the moment, the moment that all of you in the room start looking at what I'm telling you I see, and worse yet, then you'll start interacting with it. And she said, then it, then it jumps out of delusion and it becomes a, a reality that I can't get ahead of anymore. I can't overcome it anymore. And it begins to affect me and it breaks me completely apart. I cannot live in a world where you are looking at what I have as a delusion. I need you to ignore it. I need you to be showing me that it isn't real. You see, understand what I'm saying to you? Hear, hear what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to you today? 
We live in a world where the world insists that we constantly validate the delusions that they see. We're never supposed to say anything. We're never supposed to say that's not right, that's not true, that's not real. But I'm going to tell you something. We can't, we can't operate like that. We're hurting people and not helping people. We're hating people and not loving people. When we validate those kinds of things, when we go off into that kind of nonsense... Jesus crossed to the Gergesene specifically to give compassionate help to those two men who were caught in that insanity. And they moved from insanity to sanity while all the rest of the town moved in the other direction because they rejected the truth. But these men began to understand what was real and what was false. Amen. Over in the book of Romans, Paul says somewhat about these things. In the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to read to you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Amen. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. Down in verse number 28, it picks it up again. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. What does it mean to be a debased mind? It means your mind no longer has a foundation. It means it was sitting on sand that the water washed out from under it. And now you're living in some kind of jacked up shack that's not fit for habitation anymore. And that is the mind that you live in. That's not just the structure that protects your body. As you are thinking in your heart, so are you. And it's an exercise in insanity then. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Most of them never meant to be all those things. Most of them never imagined that that would be who they would be. They just traded in truth for something that wasn't truth. They traded in what was real for something that they liked a little bit better in the time being. And what they ended up doing, they traded in truth for insanity and they lost, they lost all foundation. Can I, just, can I just give you a couple things just by way of all that, all that sort of circling in our heads today, this idea about being people of the book, people of the truth, people who not only share in this wonderful, beautiful, powerful, common faith of ours, but we also have this acknowledgement of truth which accords with godliness. We're people building our lives. I hope you are. I hope you're not just coming to church this morning and going through some motions. Amen. If you are, I'm glad you're here. But listen to me now. I hope that you're men and women who are, who are giving your all to building your life around the Word of God on the solid foundation that Christ Jesus Himself gives to you. Amen. But with that circling in our heads this morning, I wonder if I might just give you some, some 
thoughts that I had about a couple of things, and then I'll be, I'll be done talking. Um, there are some narratives that circle now, that circulate, that you need to reject because they're false, because they're lying. False narratives that you have to say that isn't true, and I'm not going to pretend that they are. Can I say some false narratives? One of the false narratives that's out there is that you can create your own truth. One of the false narratives that's out there is that you are powerful enough, that your mind is powerful enough, that if you can just believe something to be true strongly enough, that it warps reality to become what you say it is. Can I tell you that is nonsense? That is utter, utter nonsense. I went to school with a young man. He was a year or two behind me in school. He went over to Eastern Kentucky University uh, the year or two after, I guess after he graduated. I was already gone off to college elsewhere, and I remember hearing a story. This young man, he was a nice enough kid. He really was. He, uh, he got into doing some things that altered his mind, and he became convinced that he could fly out the window of his dorm, and he had a dorm room high and a tower. His flight was short. Delirium and insanity, creating his own truth, it didn't work. It didn't work for very long. And I don't, I don't mean to tell that story callously. What he did instantaneously, many, many, many people are doing today just in a little slower motion. They're creating their own, but the, 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 the slam into the ground at the, at the bottom is going to be just as violent and just as deadly. The world will tell you, you create your own truth. Whatever you, honey, whatever you believe, it's real. It's real. No, no, no. You need to see through that. That's a false thing. That's a, that's a lie. Disbelieve that narrative. Go ahead and call it a lie. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is to call a lie a lie. Right? Another one here. <laughs> Another one here. And these aren't in a particular order. I'm just grab, randomly grabbing three of these things here. How many of you have heard this? Some of you have even said this to your kids. You need to go back and tell them you're lying to them. Honey, just follow your heart. You ever tell your kids that? Just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Can I ask you a question? Is that biblical? Where does the Bible say just follow your heart and everything will be all right? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. What does the Bible say about your children's heart and your heart and my heart? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that you, that your heart as it is naturally, that your heart is desperately wicked and deceptive above all things. It is a fountain of lies and falsehood. Amen. But you're going to tell those kids, go out there and just, honey, just follow your heart. You'll follow that heart all the way to hell. Right? That's where you'll go with that. Don't follow your heart. Your heart can't be trusted. Your heart has been broken and stained with so much sin. It's been, it's been pelted with so many lies. It is insanity itself. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. Follow Him. Amen. He'll be, he'll be the thing, the one who can deliver you from all that. Amen. There's a, there's a narrative that goes around today that says... And this is getting more and more traction all the time. I don't understand it. It seemed like we were, we were making progress as fallen, broken people. It seemed like we're moving in a... In a but, it, but there's a narrative going around that says that we're obligated to hate one another. That we're obligated to look at one another and find any little point of difference and retreat into tribalism and say, because you're a different color than I am, because you're from a different place, because you're, you make a different amount of money than I do, that somehow I'm obligated to look at you as my enemy. Can I say to you, that is of the devil. That is of the evil, wicked one. 
Reject the lie. Don't buy into that. And I, and I say that today not because I'm thinking, well, somebody here has given into that, but I'm, I'm amazed at how many young people today are going off to universities and colleges and hearing that nonsense and bringing it home with them. That's foolishness. It's ridiculous. This is not what the Word of God has taught us. It's taught us that we are all of one blood. Amen. It's taught us that we ought to love one another. We ought to serve one another. We ought to esteem others better than ourselves. Amen. Anyway, there's, there's plenty of lies out there. There's so many things that we need to reject, but what do we do instead of just rejecting? Well, I think we need to pray about some things. Can I say to you that we ought to pray that God would establish, you ought to pray that God would establish your life in the truth. If you're, if you're not born again, it just might be somebody here today, if you were being honest, you'd say, well, I've never really, I've never really given my heart and soul to Christ. You just don't have a foundation. You're just at the whim of shifting sand. And your mind is probably already coming apart in ways that you don't know yet. Maybe it's not broken out on the surface. It hadn't all started to crumble on the exterior yet. But I promise you there are some things that are going awry somewhere in your mind. And, and if I could just lovingly say to you, you need to get saved and you need to do it right now putting it off, waiting. There's some things that don't get better with waiting. You know, they say you make a good cheese, you got to wait on it. You don't wait on salvation. Amen. You're going to build a good life? You want to build a life that's blessed of God? Do it right now. Start right now. Give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time. Aren't you tired of your, living your life according to the whims of the world that, that tell you one day that this is important, the next day that that's important and you're trying to keep up with it and you lose track of what you're supposed to care about from one day to the next? Aren't you so tired of that? I mean, do you, do you think those people know what they're talking about? Of course not. What a, what a wonderful day this would be for you, for you, for you to say this is the day I will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to come in and begin to give me direction in life and to start to order and to direct all things for me. It could be, friend, though, that there's somebody here today who says I've been saved. Somebody told me this the other day. They said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian in that I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven of my sins. I pray and I've asked Christ, I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but I'm, I'm not really at a point yet where I'm ready to live life his way. And I think that is so fascinating to me because you are a creature that the scripture knows nothing about. You're having a spiritual experience that the Bible doesn't even talk about. Isn't that fascinating? You're telling me you're forgiven, but he's not your Lord. How amazing is that? Jesus never even said that could happen. Wow! The disciples never said, hey, look, there's a group of people here that could be forgiven, but never really under the Lord. No. No, the reason that the Bible doesn't talk about it is because it's not real. Amen? Amen. Now, now let, let me just say this to you, friend. If you're here today and you are a Christian, but you can re recognize some places in your life where you've gotten a little weak on following him. Again, putting that off and not dealing with it right now is going to cost a lot of something that you don't want to pay. Amen. Pray that God would establish your life in the truth. Get the Word of God in you. Amen. Don't say, I'm going to build my life according to the truth. I sure do love Jesus, and I'm going to build my life His way. Scared to death to open my Bible up. Pray that it's going to say something obligate me. Pray the Word of God's going to say something hurt my feelings. Guess what? That's what it's for. Amen. Because you got some feelings need hurting. Amen. And if God can't get it to you through his word, he'll have to send you a mean preacher to preach mean messages to you, right? 
You never know. Hey, listen, open your Bible, and whatever it says, you just live by it. You just do it. If it hurts your feelings, say, God, thank you that you hurt my feelings today. God, thank you that your word has shown me where I'm wrong, and Lord, help me to do better. Amen. Get the word of God in you. Don't think you're going to get to heaven pleading ignorance. Pray that God would help you be a diligent discerner of truth. A diligent discerner of truth. You live in a world where there's so many illusions and delusions, so many false things. Pray that God would help you. Pray that God would help you to see what is real and what is false in the world all around you. You, you, you ever been to one of those carnivals where you had to walk through the hall of mirrors? You ever done that? I hate those things. Why do people do that? I just don't get it. I don't understand. I've about broken my nose slamming in the mirrors. Can't tell which way to go. I hate that. I really, and yet people want to live their life in the world like that. I mean, just constantly surrounded by so many false fake ideas and images about what's real. And it's all just nonsense. When Christ alone will show you the way, amen. Pray that God would help you as you walk through this world and your own experience, your own life, the places that you go, the people that you know, the things that you have to interact in this world with. Pray that God would help you always to be carefully discerning what is real and what is false what is true and what is insane. Amen. And, and, and you can't just take it for granted that you'll know that. You'll need the Spirit's help as you will. You're not smart enough and I'm not smart enough. Amen. We just won't know. We won't know unless God enlightens us. Amen. And then pray, pray that God would make you a bold professor of truth. The world is right now very inhospitable to tellers of truth. But it's in great need of them. It's in great need of people who will tell the truth. And you and I, listen, right now, you and I cannot do it. We cannot give that acquiescence of silence to the insanity of this age. When you and I keep silent, when you and I don't speak the truth, we're letting a lot of demoniacs suffer and struggle when the truth could set them free. Amen? And I don't mean you go out there and you get mean and hateful and you antagonize people. I don't mean you go out there trying to start fights with anybody. Listen, you don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You wrestle with principalities and powers in the heavenly place. You fight spiritual battles, amen. But you don't quit those battles. You keep on with them, and you keep being a loving and gentle teller of truth in the world. Yes, absolutely. The world hated it. It won't like it. You've got to know that going in. That's just how it's going to be. But don't give the world your silence against the insanity this age. There will be a cost to pay. And that cost is going up. It's more and more expensive every day. It's not just gasoline that's getting more expensive. It's not just eggs that are getting more expensive. Telling the truth is getting more expensive. And you say, I'm not sure we can afford to pay it. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford not to. We cannot afford not to tell the truth in this world. We cannot afford to stop pointing people to Christ. We cannot afford to not tell people the gospel that sin has them bound, but that Jesus is the one that can deliver them. Amen. Friday morning a long time ago, our Savior hung on a cross. A Friday morning a long time ago, He went through absolute agony. Not only that which was inflicted by man, but under the full and unbridled wrath of God. And he did that, not because you were lovable and I was lovable. He did it because we were wicked. He did it because we were sinful, because we were broken, 
because we were insane, because we did not know the way of truth, because we did not know the difference between what is real and what is false. And him going through that was the only way to rescue us from that desperate, desperate place that we were in. Every one of us. You want to find yourself in the Scripture? You want to say, well, where am I at in the Bible? You're not too far from being. Let me tell you this, especially if you're here today and you're lost. You're not right now too far from being those demoniac men of Gadara. I wasn't. They were singing that song this morning about, about what was the first song you all sang, Brother Justin? What, what was that first song? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that he saved me. I'm so glad. And I was just sitting there listening to that song thinking. And it just, it just every now and then it just comes over you. You know, you just think about it. You've been a Christian for years and you think, well, this is my life. You know, this is the life I'm living. But then it just hits me. I think it didn't have to be. This didn't have to be the life that I get to live. I mean, I could have been living a different life. You know what I'm saying? I could have been, I could have been living a life where, where I didn't know about Jesus. I could have been, I could have been living a life where, where my sin debt was not... Mark paid in full. I could have been living a life that was built on so many false things and not on the truth of God's word. And it just came over me while I was singing. I thought, where would I be? What would my life be like? What would it be like, Lord? Lord, if, if I hadn't known you, if I hadn't followed you, if I hadn't heard you calling, if you hadn't come to rescue me, Lord, what would my life look like? Without hope? Yeah, amen. Without hope, without truth, without a foundation. You, you know, the truth is, you know, I got saved when I was 16 years old. I didn't grow up in a Christian family, but I, I found the Lord Jesus. He found me, I should say, when I was, when I was 16 years old. He, he saved me from a lot of stuff before I even got into it. Hallelujah. I really don't have a frame of reference to know what the final depth of my life would have looked like apart from Christ. And, and you don't either. You don't either. I've seen it in some other people. I've looked and seen what it's done to them. And I think, oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. We need a lot of help, don't we? We need a lot of grace and mercy. Those folks that are still apart, they need somebody to tell them the truth. Paul, I'm sorry, Paul said to Titus, he said, we have these two things that make us who we are. We have a common faith shared among us all. It runs through your spirit like the blood of Abraham ran in the veins of old Israel. What a better thing to run through you than the blood of a man is the faith in the God-man Christ Jesus. We don't just have that faith, though. We have, we have an acknowledgement of truth. Our lives are different. We're sanctified by the truth. We have an acknowledgement of truth which accords with godliness. Tellers of truth. Livers of truth purveyors of truth. We are those who have bought the truth and will not sell it off. God help us today. Lord, Lord, we pray today, Lord, that as we live in a world that it just seems like there's more illusion and fantasy, there's more falsehood that, that, that just bombards our natural eyes. Lord, it just seems like every day we live just being pummeled by images of things that are not real. Lord, I thank you that our spirits have eyes to see what is real. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, when I don't know of anything else to look at, 
I thank you, Lord, that when the world has become such a, a confusing thing to me, when, when I stand just mystified and all the, all the noise and the traffic and the bright lights of it all, in the Spirit there's a place that I can retreat to and I can say, Lord, just show me Jesus Christ dead and resurrected. Just show me the one crucified for me and I can take my bearing from Him, O oh God. Lord, I can find my way if I can see Christ. Father, I pray today that all of us here can see Christ, can see Him in our spirits because we've known Him, because we are the sheep of His fold, because God, He's loved us and He's saved us and we're born again by Him. If somebody here today, Lord, hasn't had that, they don't know what that is, God, may they find it, may they run to Christ today. And Father, Lord, I pray for us who have known that, Lord, that we'd not be drawn away, Lord, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be as Demas. Paul said about him who knew the truth, but he said he departed because he fell in love with the world again. Father God, I pray that you would just help us today to chase truth always, to be men and women of that. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name.
you know, I, I couldn't help, but, but while I'm, I'm preaching today and thinking about truth, and I, I wish I was a better preacher, could preach that better, and just really help that just to connect and just lodge in the guts of somebody. You know, we carry around too much truth here, but not enough down in the guts. And that's where I want truth to live is right down in my guts. Amen. I want it to be just, just through and through inside of me. Um, I couldn't help but while I was preaching about truth today, I'm seeing these kids here. I see these and these young folks over here. How, like, how, how old are you guys? How old are you, sir? 14. How, how old are you, sir? 17, man. 15. All right. Uh, Jed, 16? 15? All right. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at you guys and I'm thinking about, you know, when I was, when I was just a little bit younger than you guys, I know if you think about somebody being 11 or 12, probably seems like ancient history when you're 17, but, but, you know, I'll promise you that won't always be the case. I remember, I lived by the woods. I grew up in eastern Kentucky and I'd go up in the woods and I'd build little forts and things. I'd piece together. I guess I was building brush arbors. I just didn't know what that was. I just built me a fort, you know. And I never worried about leveling the ground. <laughs> I didn't think, well, is this good and square? I didn't think, are the walls plumb? I just, somewhere to hide and throw walnuts at my brothers he went by. That's what I had, had in my mind, you know. It wasn't like I was worried about. But, but boy, you go from being 12, 13, 14 to being in your 20s, 30s, 40s, a whole lot faster than you think you will. And, and man... Man, you you got you got to you got to make a transition in how you build, pretty quick. You can't slap stuff together and have a little walnut throwing fort anymore, because that's not what life is. You, you you're building life that's really going to be what you're living in. You know, I mean, a place to live, and I don't mean just a house. I mean your life that you're building. And I just I just I just want to ask you guys this specifically, if y'all bear with. I don't mean to embarrass anybody. Point. I just my question to you is this. Are you kind of going through the motions? Are you still in that 12-year-old frame of mind? I'm just having fun slapping things. Or are you, are you crossing a bridge in your th mind and thinking, I'm going to have to build my life. I'm at a place right now where it's time for this to start coming together. It's, it's getting on to tw time pretty soon where the life that I build is something I'm going to have to live in. And am I going to build according to what is real, what's true? Or am I going to try to build according to the way the world is building? Because I'm going to promise you guys something. You will be disappointed in that. You absolutely will. Building it Christ's way. Following His Word. Doing what He says. Letting Him lead. Letting Him be Lord. That will pay off in dividends you can't even begin to imagine. It'll be everything to you. And so I just want to encourage you. And, and, and the older folks that are here with us, I think most of them would, would say amen to that. They've, a lot of them, we've, we've tried it both ways, and it just doesn't, it doesn't work the other way. You've got to do it Christ's way. I want to give to you an invitation today. Could you say, maybe it maybe be in somebody's heart today. Maybe they're at that point where they're about to be an adult, and they'd say, you know what? Lord God, I really need to, I really need to come and know that the time is coming. And I'm not saying you have to in every way yet, but where you have to come to where Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. One of, the, one of the problems that we got right now is that too many young men and young women in, in our world today are crossing over their 20s and their 30s, maybe even into their 40s, and they don't want to grow up. They don't put away a way of building and doing. I mean, they're still, they're still putting together forts in the backyard. They're not building life. Can I just encourage you that maybe this is a time for you to say, God, start to lead me now. God, start to lead me now into the building of something I can live in 
and it'll be solid. Let me build it Jesus way. The Lord leads you in that. Just, just start to pray on those things. Just, just ask Him for help. And then I know He'll help you. I'm sorry. Y'all want to sing another or not? That's up to you.